Welcome to the Directors UK podcast. This episode comes from our member event with the Oscar-winning director, Alejandro González Iñárritu, as he discussed the making of his latest film, Bardo, False Chronicle of a Handful of Truths. Alejandro was joined by fellow director Pavel Pavlikovsky to discuss the film's writing process, his decisions around lenses and formats, and the potent use of music throughout. We hope you enjoy Good evening. I'm very, very happy and honoured to be uh, part of this event and to be able to talk to my old friend, Alejandro, whose films I've uh, followed and admired ever since ever since uh, Amores Peros. And, uh, and uh, I've also, in the last two or three years, been receiving messages from him while he was shooting this, this film. And it sounded like a like the maddest project he's ever, ever undertaken. Uh, and uh, and I was just very, I was throughout thinking, what's he doing? Why is he doing? Why is he doing it to himself? This sounds like technically difficult, emotionally difficult during the pandemic. Uh, and uh, and having seen it, yeah, it's, it's incredibly personal, vulnerable film. It takes real cojones to to make such a film these days. So I'm full of admiration. And Alejandro, what possessed you to make this film at this <laughs> point? <laughs> well, first of all, uh, good evening, everybody in London, in UK. Uh, it's an honor for me to, a privilege to talk to you, Pavel, which I love you as a friend and I admire your film so much. And uh, so having this conversation is so nice. Thank you for doing it. Um, yeah, it was a possession, as you said. <laughs> I like to be intoxicated with something that you need to to spell it out. Um, and yeah, a film like this is is a need. It's not it's not something uh, common. Um, this film, in a way, required from me uh, much more than any other film in many levels, but starting with the fact that. Uh, you know, the, the fabric uh, that this uh, film is made come from, from very um, intimate, deep, intimate, personal things that not necessarily are uh, true, but are honestly lived or experienced or felt. So the material is very elusive. It came from the subconscious mind, not with a rational, basic, classic structure to build a character and a storytelling. What I was interested was to, in a way, explore kind of uh, a state of mind, uh, a a personal atmosphere. I would like this to be an experience through images and sounds to express an emotional state like a like a mental like a mental landscape where i am now which i could not understand and i was not interested in the chronological events and the facts but just in the honesty of the uncertain and confusing state where in the last years i have been going through um so that was the attempt and i needed to spell that out some way and this is the best way i could so it felt like a kind of summing up film, and in some ways it felt like a farewell to it felt like a farewell at the end of it, you know, as if you were like, 
these are the things I love. This is the things I'm confused by. I can't solve anything. And, and I'm making this ultimate movie with no holds barred. And, and it somehow feels like that's the full stop in, in, your, in your filmmaking career. Is that, is that, is there something in it? I think it's a, it's a moment that I think I, I was ready to, to, to explore some of these memories. And some of them are, again, uh, 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 some, some wounds, some traumas, some things to overcome, some things that are feeling, I feel uncomfortable, some thoughts and reflections. Um, but this is not a reflection of a reality. Yeah. This is more a reality of the reflection. <laughs> yes. I mean, it's it, what I'm saying is all this material. Yes. Not a farewell, but I will say that it was. Um, I was ready, I think, to to let it go, yeah. to surrender, to allow myself to share things that probably I will have not been ready five years ago or mm -hmm. ten, mm -hmm. and I I was detached from things that before maybe I was suppressing or holding or, and I was just ready to explore mm -hmm. these uh, very intimate and confusing things that not necessarily uh, is, is the common ground for filmmakers, you know, but at the same time is what I think defines cinema, which is not necessarily storytelling, but just like a dream yeah. uh, to be exploring images, you know, or a feeling. And you had some fantastic collaborators involved. How did you? Who was the your closest fellow traveler on this on this project? I will say I was so privileged to have like a incredible team, like artists around me, and some of them and and, and a new completely team. Some of them I met them before, but never worked with them. So in the first line will be Darius Konji, which in a way is the first time that we worked together. But it was for me like finding a new brother at, at my age. And I said, where you have been all my life? Because in a way we connected in, in many levels, not only uh, in the vision of the film and the aesthetic and what it needed, but personally, spiritually, you know, it was a great connection. Mm -hmm. So it was a delicious collaboration. And then Eugenio Caballero, which is from Mexico City and all younger than me, but we know each other 30 years ago, but we have never worked together in a film. And uh, he just brought so much incredible textures and colors and knowledge and Ana Terrazas in the world of design, you know. And then obviously Daniel Jimenez Cacho as an actor who is one of the best uh, actors in Mexico, maybe the best one that I know him for years, but we have never worked together. So suddenly find ourselves in the same moment of our lives where our interior, interior journey, it's kind of similar. We are from the same generation. We are understanding life from the same perspective in our age, you know, so we are going to the same place. Mm -hmm. So I will say that uh, these, these, these were basically major Major uh, assets, and without them, the film will not be what it is. And you worked with your co-writer that you already worked on, worked with before. Um, uh, and how did it work? Did, did you, from the very beginning, know that this film would weave in and out of reality? And 
and dream and reality would mesh together in this way? Or is it something you kind of worked out while writing or even later? <clears throat> Nicolás Jacobone, who, who is so close that I even forgot to mention. Nicolás, we started working together since Beautiful and then in Birdman. And this is the third film that we worked together, which is, again, it's, it's like a brother. And this became a very, again, particular uh, project because the nature of it. I think what it was very clear uh, for us is that, you know, I went to acupuncturally find these moments and these things that I wanted to talk about. And I want to say that it, it was crazy because we cannot subestimate uh, the power uh, of, of subconscious mind. And, and I'm saying this very seriously because there was no anastriety because this is a story without story. And, uh, and deliberately, I wanted just to let it go and again, surrender to, to not a rational process because mind is the enemy. And uh, and I was trying just to liberate it from that rational judgment, chronological, logic demanding brain of things, but allow myself to go to some places that were uncomfortable. And the subconscious is a relentless uh, triggering of imagination. You know, it's 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 an involuntary memory memories that appear. So one, I capture and pick. Some of these things were ideas and emotions and these elements that that then we had to turn them in a writing process in sequences, you know. So this was about that, the dream about my father or this dream that I have flying or this feeling about, you know, our my wife and I have a loss of a kid that it has been hanging all our lives in a very traumatic, and then we have a double kind of experience, which very young, we, we experience how life can really disappear yeah. and be away, and, and, and you left with that. And and and, and the people leave, what is the, the, the ideas and the feelings stays with you and how you handle, that's, that's, that's the story about how these emotions or these ideas or these traumas in a way are transforming and affecting your present, even when they become from the past and even your future decisions are made of these ghosts from the past. So once I have identified these elements, it's how to turn them in a sequence. And I was very clear that I didn't want to submit to the reality of the event, but that's where I think I have to betray reality through fiction. Yeah. So fiction betray reality in order to find a higher truth, because fiction, in a way, in a way, I think, uh, 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 reveal what what reality is hiding. Always a, a fact or an event. If it's very realistic, yes, is reducing how you experience that in your nervous system that you you know perceive a certain amount of the reality. But using fiction in a way allow me to liberate from the fact and observe it in a very different way mm -hmm. and as re representing many things that I needed to understand better than just the fact. Mm -hmm. So we in the writing, when we were doing the sequences, uh, we we betrayed by, by fictionalized these events. And that was very liberating and very beautiful. Even when they were... But I think it will always, I said to the young writers, 
fictions demand honesty. Doesn't mean that because fiction is fiction, is it can be a lie. It's not true. Fiction is very honest. If it's good fiction, fiction even can scratch reality more than the reality that we think. So through fictionized that it became sequence, and these sequence then they ha- we have to find a way to blend them uh, and to make sense of all these pastiche of sequences that were individually brought to the table, you know. And was the film shot as written, or when it when you started shooting and it took on its own life, did did you change things? Did you add things? Did you correct yourself? Did you discover no, a slightly I, different no. film, or is it literally what did you imagined? It was. It was. Uh, it requires a lot of precision, Pavel, because because in a way, um, the, the the most challenging thing for me was that I wanted, once we had that, and I confront these sequences, some of them were very personal and intimate, and some others were about collective memory of my country, you know, about things that have happened in the past or could happen in the future and fears about it that belongs to the the seeking, the, the, the things or the wounds that has affected all Mexican people our, through our story and make us be what we are, I, as the conquest or the American-Mexican war or, or people disappearing in the streets. So suddenly this became kind of, when I confronted and I need to flesh them out and materialize these emotions. When I was writing with Nico, it's funny that I subestimate the size of the movie. I always thought, well, this is a very small, intimate, personal movie. Believe me, I, I was always doing something small. And when I, when I suddenly start fleshing out, I said, holy shit, yeah. if I'm talking about the conquest of Cortes, yeah. I have to honor this. And this is one of the biggest events in humanity. I cannot do just the tiny, humble, little shitty thing. I, I need to honor it and dignify it, at least with one image that said what I feel it is about. So and w- w- what I'm saying is that the fleshing of that things was extremely difficult and how to permeate one to the other and we wanted to create atmospheres and uh and that was very challenging so the precision that it requires we could i cannot go out and find that naturally mm-hmm. would you need to design it to pre-plan to pre-produce and everything has to be in place in order to have the feeling of a dream Mm-hmm. I wanted the audience to have like um like a lucid lucid dream experience when you are aware that you are dreaming yeah. that's I wanted to put people experience in the point of view of Silverio which is traveling at the end of his life and having this walk in his consciousness so it's not crazy or it's not a, a crazy dream it's it's is your life but it's permeated with layers of reality and the memory of the memories and how. So we need to really design with every texture, every palette of the color, every camera move, every shift of light, every element that is off. So I will say that the film ended up very, very um, close to what it was 
very um, in me, uh, very uh, meticulously written to be to be to be to capture what we wanted you know and it was quite early on that you decided um, to use wide lenses and uh, and also the 65 millimeter um, format was that was that like immediately clear that that's what you were going for kind of total experience and and lenses that kind of immerse you in in that world yeah, I actually started shooting with 65 millimeters film, but in Mexico there was no laboratory, so we had to fly all the cans every night, and it was so expensive and so risky and so frustrating to receive the material for days and so, uh, yeah, unaffordable for the, the budget of the film. So we, we changed the format to 65. I had to stop the film two times because the pandemic, the first one, then we start shooting six months later, People got sick and we had to stop. So it was the third time that I that I uh, start that then we decided 65 digital with the Alexa and wide lenses. And what Darius and I decide very early, I differently from any other film, I storyboard every single sequence in actually draw. And it's a beautiful work of Edgar Clemente, the incredible. Um, I, I took him to the locations and the rehearsals. And, and we were drawing exactly everything. And since very early, Darius and I decide that this has to have like, you know, in a dream, uh, I, want, I want to give context to the character because what he is missing and what he belongs to and he's swallowed by the nostalgia and the melancholia of a country. And I want this country or this city to be present around him, embrace him, I didn't want to isolate him with the longer lenses. I, I want him to be part of a whole that he is not part of it anymore. Mm -hmm. And I want to show the city and his house and everything and make people in the point of view of this landscape that is, another decision was important is not only the, the wide lenses to give context and give this kind of big canvas of the dreams that always are expanded and atmospheric, but the constant movement, slow movement, I wanted to represent like time and life that is constantly moving slowly. And musically too, for me was important. I, I always saw this movie like, um, like uh, in our generation, for me, it was so important. The, the rock albums from the 70s were, they were concept albums, right? Yeah. They were not singles. So yeah. it was like a story told with music that was blended one track. So the Lamb Lies Down of Broadway of Genesis yeah. or Pink Floyd albums or yeah. jazz or, the, you know, I want this to be a story told musically that it blends one to the other through big canvas and yeah. the foreground, middle ground. So this was kind of the theory behind to keep a constant movement, including everything me melting in this mm -hmm. big scenario, you know. And part of the job is done by by the sound design. How did you work with your sound designer? It was incredible. Yeah, I think it was Martin Hernandez who has been my friend since we studied together in the in the university, and he has been doing the sound design of all the films that I have done. So he's a brother. But this time, both of us consider that because the qualities of audio that this film needed, uh, we invited Nicolas Becker. And Nicolas Becker did the sound of metal, but he has incredible experience doing 
uh, some art installations in museums and galleries, and he's an incredible Foley artist too. So the understanding of Nico of the sound not necessarily is narrative. It's more experiential and spatial. Mm-hmm. So I think he and his team adding to this project was crucial. You know, I think we were very, very, it took us one year. It is the most sophisticated thing because I want, it's, if you ask yourself how your dream sounds, it's, it's a question that is hard to answer. Yeah. And, uh, so we were trying to interpret how Silverio from that unconsciousness state that the film is being told how you will hear sometimes the voice is out sometimes the steps are a little bit push like you are hearing your own steps or mm-hmm. the music of david bowie it's la capella because yeah. he's mumbling himself a song that he loved and yeah. he's throughout the music you know so all these kind of experiments were in the in the process which were very interesting for us you know yeah well that dance that dance was incredible they kind of solo to a cappella David Bowie while everyone else was dancing to another to other music no i remember you yeah. i remember you, i heard that you were once a disco dancer in, at some point <laughs> a very bad one by the way <laughs> i was firing one day in uh, spain uh, but, sorry <laughs> but yeah but you used your knowledge <laughs> yes and uh, and the, so the choice of music um, i mean some of it you know like the david bowie was quite radical but what guided you f- for most of the film you know the, some of the music was composed of some <coughs> some, some oh, tunes. Uh, i i i um early on uh, always in every film that i don't do uh, i need to know what is the instrument that will guide the film and what is the genre that musical kind of spiritual thing guide me since since I'm writing something, it, it really helps me to understand the tempo and the rhythm and, and the sound, the texture of a film. And in this case, I knew that it has to be metals like, like tuba and trombone and, and, and trumpet, which are very, very in the ancestral materials of the Mexican music of uh, the towns of Oaxaca and Chiapas that these beautiful bands always are playing with this metal kind of thing and these kind of drums. And what this, the quality of these bands that I have here from since I'm a kid and I'm fascinated is like they are always exquisitely out of tune. Mm -hmm. And it's impossible to do that because they are always out of place. But there's something so nice about it. And it makes me feel sometimes the same song, depending on where you are in your life, make you feel very sad or nostalgic or absurd and funny. You know, there's a lightful and profound element in those kind of bands in Mexico, which in a way are similar to the Serbian music or the Jewish music, you know, or Italian music that has kind of the same instrument, sometimes with accordion. So it's kind of the music of of humanity that can be used in funerals Mm -hmm. or that same can be played in a wedding. (laughs) You know, it's like, it has this ability to be blending between the absurd and the profound which yeah. is our own lives, right? We are all days being in the stupidity and sometimes meaningful things. In one hour, we can go in one way or the other. So this music has that. I knew that it was the music and the tone that I wanted, but I didn't know how to really approach it. So during the writing thing, I was doing some whistling of possible tunes that I would like to have myself like, 
what is the tempo, what is the absurd. So I record a lot of tunes. And when then finally I approach Bryce Desner, who I work with him in The Revenant in the third act, he did it uh, a part with when, when Ryuichi Sakamoto and Alba Noto, uh, he joined us and I became very friend of him. So I invite Bryce and I said, you know, this is what I'm thinking. I'm going to send you these tunes. And he heard the tunes and he loved the tunes. And uh, so he said, I, let, let's start composing from these tunes. And in my personal life, my father was a great whistler and he took with him a whistle that made me feel very good and I don't remember and nobody remembers. So I was trying to emulate that thing that I remember for my father. And from there, I have the privilege to work with Bryce, which is a genius composer and musician. And we shared this journey of going to Mexico, bringing these bands from Oaxaca and working with them. And then he brought some of the violins and strings. And it, it was a beautiful, a beautiful process of, that I learned a lot. A from huge, the massive effort for something so intimate. No, there's there's a kind of paradox about the, the whole thing. No, it's it's been done. I wanted, I wanted to brought, I think, all the things that really were meaningful for me, because as you said, there's a sensation uh, that probably was my last film. You know, mm -hmm. there was something that I don't know. There's a, there's there's maybe a sensation. I always, when I'm making a film, I have the sensation that probably is the last one. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's a Mexican thing because in in my country, when I was doing Amores Peros, only five six films were done in a year. Yeah. So as a filmmaker, you knew that you maybe had the chance to do one film that nobody will see, yeah. and you have the ability to bring everything. So. I thought this probably will make be my my you know I'm feeling old and I'm feeling that yeah. what I have to walk in the future is not so long and yeah. I wanted just to include everything that was important for me <laughs> so maybe I became kind of this uh, desperate guy the supermarket trying to get everything <laughs> <laughs> into the trolley yeah yeah no but that's really touching and uh, and and kind of crazy because you you know these days it's you're making yourself so vulnerable, you know, people say it's egotistic and whatever, but it's also so bloody brave, you know, to not to censor yourself, to put everything in and uh, and to say things you really think and say them sometimes very literally. Some of the dialogues are very literal, you know, although it weaves in and out of um, of dream. But sometimes you say things that are kind of like literally like like journalistic almost or mm -hmm. philosophical. but. Um, so so you didn't have anyone to censor you clearly i mean and you didn't have this other side you know you didn't have this other side of your brain saying oh hang on hang on you know this is i have to be careful here i have to be careful i, sh I shouldn't say that i shouldn't have cortes on top of this heap of bodies it's a, possibly bad taste what do i know <laughs> so it's very it's very very uh, very rare these days to to go out like this on the limb I agree. I agree. I think I think in that sense, I was able to, again, as I said to you, to liberate from the prejudice and fears and, and expose myself in a fragile and vulnerable thing, sharing my wounds and sharing my losses and sharing. I was not sharing my my success and my triumphs and how powerful. And this is this is not a selfie. This yeah. is a self. Yeah, yeah. And I fictionalize it to make them. Even the more personal they were, the more universal they are. Because I think I share this with every immigrant and people that has lost uh, 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 persons in their lives and 
and and things that has turned against you and and contradictory things in your life that can appear one way are are not so to open up all those things was a great opportunity for me to and i need to have the courage to be dislike yeah and to to be who I am. The other day I was in a college in in LA and a girl from Mexico, she was telling me that she wanted to make a film, but she was afraid because she was a privileged woman and she felt the guilt and the shame of being a study in the United States where other women were doing, going through all many things. And I said to the kids, you need to have the courage to say what you need to say the way you want to say it and be honest with you without thinking how you will be judged because if you want to bend yourself to please everybody yeah. then you will not be honest i mean it, 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 we we will go into this horrendous way to navigate the, what people could say about it and i i i think i have the privilege to at my age to to get rid of all that fear mm-hmm. and um and I, I and i don't know how it can be egoistical or narcissistic to share your own feelings and your realities. And uh, and with the right that anybody has to do that, you know, I think that out of fiction is in a way and, and your personal, I think I could not offer better gift to share my own personal experience and feelings, even if you like it or not. Yeah. Those are unique and to share them requires something. And, and uh and then as every artist, as you, your personal things, you turn them in a film and in a fictional thing. And, uh, and, and, and in this case, through an alter ego, it was not me. It's a guy that I know very well, but I share very personal things through that. And that's art. The best literature in the world mm. is that. And a painter always, as a tradition, has to have a self-portrait. That's mm. almost a, a need. And this for me was that. This was to share that with no any other intention, just to really express and explore things that I know that I am, con- I hope that I connect, that I can see they have been connected with people that feel exactly the way I do. Yeah. But yes, I was not censored. I was not, I was very, maybe responsible. Let me put it this way. I was probably very responsible and naive. Mm-hmm. Because I, 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 some reactions has been virulent, and yeah. I know how irritate some people has feel. But if with if this film you approach it with the mind, mind is the enemy. If you go to this film, uh-huh. demanding logic, the film critic, yeah, story, then you will be you will be fighting with this film yeah. to death because you will not find elements to judge yeah. and to work with your left part of your brain and it will be very frustrating so i understand that you know yeah. but it, that's the nature of the beast because you have this character in the film which kind of preempts all that the this nasty tv journalist what was it, louise or something yes who, louise. who says all these things that that possibly people could say about your about your art about your film in that party scene and he's guess, guess what? I think that you know the the funny thing. I think maybe some people feel offended, and I'm sorry for that. But I was talking to myself. I I can be harsher with myself than anybody yeah. else. You have the a worst, kind of imposter syndrome, yeah. You feel like, the worst enemy I have, yeah, 
is to me is myself and we all can be our worst enemy and mind is the enemy yeah. and what i'm talking that scene there was two levels that i was very interested one is was me talking to me so i mean my that side of my brain the left side of my brain talking to the right side of the brain saying you are this you are that you are fake you are is that and it's so predictable how that side of the brain works. I have that too. I'm very rational. And when I go into that mode, I'm aware of it and it's nasty and it's the worst copy, copilot you can ever have. But it's very predictable. And yeah. I was shocked and surprised and happy to that some of those words came out to reality and were written exactly yeah. the same, yeah. accusing exactly the same because they were so predictable that I wrote it not I was talking about anybody. I was talking about me judging myself about my own work. Yeah. I can, cynically, if I detach, anything can be destroyed. So yeah. any work of art can be destroyed with that kind of mode in the left brain. Yeah, yeah. And if you read The Master and His Emissary, this book, it just enlightens you how easy it is to destroy things and approach that thing. And, the, and, and Silveri is trying to talk to the right brain saying, yes, you allow uncertainty and blah, blah, blah. And at the same time is the journalism that we are living today. There's some kind of journalism of the entertainment or in the politics that are turning everything in a business, in clicks, in likes, in shit like that, and humiliation. And there's others that are not, which is reality. And I was talking about that bipolar reality that we are living. Mm -hmm. So... Uh, you know, anyway, yes, I wanted to come in because he is in the film a docu fiction ex journalist guy, which I think it deserved to have that conversation, you know. Yeah. And how did you explain the character to uh, Jimenez Cacho, um, to your lead actor? Uh, what was the did you need to talk a lot or was it clear what, what it's all about and what he's supposed to be playing? I, I, we we connected almost cosmically in a in a dinner. I asked him not to read the script. He asked me to read it. He read it once. I asked him not to rationalize, to not really get into into the constructive mode of building a character in preconceptions, in prejudges. Like now we go because there's no like act one, act two, plot point. I want to take this narrative from this film. I, I was not interested in telling you a story. Yeah. I was interested in an atmosphere being expressed through images and sound. And I said to him, my only instruction was, do not uh, uh, react to nothing. Just respond, which is very different. And be there present and aware of what's going on. Observe. Mm -hmm. And what Daniel said that he did, and he is what he has been saying, and I learned from them, is that we never talk about this was me or personal, never, ever. You know, I he really took all the material and he established his own emotional baggage with his father, with his adolescence kids, with his wife, with his losses. He worked on his own things and he went through a very deep process. And if you can see his strokes are very minimalistic and very just with the eyes, but it's so honest and so present that that, I think, is the highest form of acting, which is to be present and be real, which sounds very easy, but it's the most difficult thing when you have 70 people around you and lights in your face. Yeah. And I think he was actually very movingly going through a lot of personal things that he went through, you know. So 
It was a beautiful experience. We never had one single discussion on anything. Yeah. It was like butter navigating, you know, like all the team, we became very family and we were just living this kind of dream and we understood exactly the tone that we needed, you know. The good thing is he didn't imitate you, which would have been a... That would be true. I was not interested in myself, let me tell you. Nobody will care. I don't care. No, but sometimes actors, you know, when they kind of know it's inspired by you, they might <laughs> your body language or something. And he was like completely, uh, completely different. No. no, he's much more gracious. I don't dance that way, by the way. I'm not so cool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, but plus you're much more uh, uh, a generous creature, you know, like... <laughs> Yeah. So, but how was it like directing these very complicated sequences with hundreds, if not thousands, of extras in in pandemic? How how that must have been like a like a. I would say that it was challenging. I I think that there was some scenes. Funny enough, people ask me about how difficult it was to do like like uh, there was challenging scene for example like 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 that mountain going down with immigrants. We have to arrive at two a.m. and it was blocked months before and all the cars is real and all the, the, the dust and all, all the fog was created so we need to really work our asses to create that or the people falling in downtown and all that big kind of thing with all this choreography and the precision of the camera movements and the actors and things and obviously the one that people really is more like how we did it in the middle of the pandemic was the dancing scene which is yeah. was really difficult because it, this is a place that is called California Dancing Club that is the cathedral of the dance in Mexico in the 70s, 80s with the Fania All-Star. Yeah. And there's 14,000 people allowed to be dancing in this thing. Now it's turning down and it's a ruin, but I wanted to rescue before it, it collapsed. And the amount of light that Darius has to bring there and then Eugenio, all the design to make this choreograph that every move has a a backlight and a flare and it was a huge production design to make these long takes but i want this precision not because to have like a technical great approach but i wanted to create a joyful atmospheric that make people feel in a mexican joyful colorful cumbia sweaty electric craziness with death and politicians and all this shit that is so Mexican, and I want the, the, the Daniel, I mean Silverio, being joyful with the daughter, with the son, introducing the daughter, the friends. A moment that suddenly he feels a lot of joy, which is very, very Mexico with a lot of mezcal that he has used. So I wanted to create that, but to get that feeling, we need to precisely understand. So can you imagine? It was like eight hundred extras in the middle of the pandemic, mm -hmm. and all the protocols of. Of, of COVID were set up. So these guys has to arrive. The, the, the extras were amazing arriving so early mm -hmm. to be tested, to be dressed, blah, blah. And then 800 people with masks. Okay, take the mask out. Guns. There was no AC. There was yeah. no AC. It was yeah. hot as hell. All of us were sweating. Yeah. It was a smoke put. People were smoking that I asked to be smoking. Yeah. Everybody was coughing, sniffing, farting. Yeah. <laughs> it was hell. And then, okay, take one. And yeah. then we were like, okay, it's going great. And then suddenly two guys were looking to the camera. Oh my God, God. <laughs> and then, you know, take number seven. And then there was 20 guys that forgot to take out the mask. You know, this kind of thing. So it was really difficult. It took us like 10 days to really get all these sequences that were in the thing with so many people. 
But the the moment that we got the good one, it was uh, exhilarating. It was it was beautiful. It was very fun. But it, yes, it it was it was physically very challenging. I have to say. Yeah. And how often did you think to yourself, "What the hell? Am, why am I doing? <laughs> this is crazy." <laughs> this kind of <laughs> every day. Yeah. Every day I was really, you know, basically trying to be faithful to the feeling that I wanted. I was super pleased because. Again, pre-production, I had the film in my head so clearly. And the moment that I was shooting the film, I was just executing the film. But this film was made two years before in a uh -huh. very precise thing. Everything was completely contemplated. Every camera move, every, every single thing. But to get to that quality of butter, butter quality, I was always saying that it was like a liquid memory. Like I wanted the film to feel blended and to blend one scene to the other without any harsh, any, mm -hmm. like, again, like the songs of the concept album, like it's, you don't know when that song finished and when the next one flows. So the floating elements of being, melting these scenes with, with the other without realizing it was very challenging. So always I was saying, am I really being faithful to the dream and to the feeling that I wanted or I'm just, you know, materializing this and collapsing the dream. I, I didn't know. That was the most anxiety thing that I have, that even when I was liking it there, I didn't know if the whole thing will come to the feeling that I wanted to be felt, you know, and, uh, and the, the challenges of production. And again, I subestimate, I uh, uh, underestimate what the film needed. And suddenly I was realizing how big some scenes were. Mm -hmm. And even the intimate scenes, like when the baby appeared and the making love scenes or in the living room, the movements and all that, they were so difficult to really put out. <laughs> because uh, as you can imagine, the, uh, Darius has to hide the, 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 the lights and sometimes it's 180 or 360 degrees in this apartment and all these sets where you put the, 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 the light. So sometimes it was all the crew running around and anyway, yeah. you know how that works, that it was, uh, it was a circus in a, in a beautiful way. It was very theatrical in that sense, you know, challenge. So avoid such shots, but, but yeah, but the great thing is you had, you had collaborators who carried, carried you along. No, you infected them with your thing and they, and even when you had your weaker days, possibly the, the whole thing was already going in a good direction. No? I think that, you know, I have the best possible actors. I think that Griselda Siciliane, Iker, Jimena, so, I mean, I never, so they were so supportive, so careful. And again, so, I mean, all the crew and, and Darius and, and Eugenio and Anna and Nicolas, I mean, what I'm saying, I have like only I, I was playing a World Cup soccer with Cristiano Ronaldo and Messi's all yeah. around. You know what I mean? I was with a triple A. So without them, I will have never done this. I mean, this this film required that level. I, I really think is the, the film that has required from me all technically and emotionally and personally more things than any other. And thanks to all these collaborators and friends, I was able to pull, to put that together. You know, I was so happy to finish and to have the privilege to have put something so crazy. Uh, you didn't have thank God you didn't have Ronaldo on your team. No, as, as <laughs> anyway, I think it's a good good moment to to finish. 
Pablo, thank you very much for doing this talk. Thank you. I really appreciate it. And thank you, everybody who was Great listening. This podcast was recorded at a Directors UK member event. You can hear more episodes of the Directors UK podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, or your favorite podcatcher. Directors UK is a professional association for film and TV directors with over 7,500 members. Find out more about us at directors.uk.com.